0: the Haute Transport Museum, and Michael Corcoran. Michael's interest goes back a long, long way. I asked him just how old was he when it all started.
1: 18 years of age, not quite 18. I remember going out to the bus garage in Donnybrook and the superintendent out there, the late John O'Byrne Gregan, who was one of the real characters of transport, he was very kind to me and so on, and he made me very welcome. And I remember asking him when he inquired, was there anything else he could do for me? Could he introduce me to anybody down in the tram depot at Ballsbridge and he got on the phone to a man named Charlie and as a result I cycled down there and I met Charlie Ross who was the foreman down there and another very kind man whom I remember with great affection and it was he who told me about the plans to preserve number 328 although there was another tram there at the time the director's tram which he was also anxious to see kept and when number 328 that I mentioned to you earlier was offered for sale as scrap Charlie was absolutely crestfallen and he and Nora and Rory Roberts the late Rory Roberts uh, will have been well known because he was secretary of the Congress of trade unions for years his wife Nora Charlie a couple of men who are regrettably now dead as well Bill Burney Ignatius Gunning and a friend of mine who is still alive Frank Hallery we got together and we bought number 328 now we hadn't a clue how to put it or do anything like that but that was how
0: the thing started yeah.
1: now it's had its ups and downs since yeah, then it started that with, was the with, with the, the 328 number yeah.
0: 328 yeah right now that's it's so so you're into your i mean i didn't realize actually that you went back that far that this yeah. you know the interest was there with you it must be fantastic for you after all these years to see it ending in this way you know that your it's, own interest is it's being able good, to but it's, it's you know. terribly
1: frustrating to think that after 42 years yeah. we still have not got through to
0: we the purveyors of Irish standard culture Michael you sound like a bit like a democrat in a communist country like for 40 <laughs> years <laughs> <laughs> sure, tell me about one or two other things that we have here
1: well will we, will yeah, we have a little yeah, do yeah. Yeah. that's a matador uh, AEC Matador it was one of the most famous military lorries of the Second World War. The model was continued in production in, well into the 50s, and the Irish Army bought eight of them in 1953. They were the first diesel engine fleet that the Army had, and uh, I think they've kept one for their own collection, and we got this one about 10 years ago. Now, it was in very poor condition when we got it, but it has been completely rebuilt, and it runs very well and so on, and we're very glad to have it. But the Matador is uh, its one of these things that really... Uh, has a, a, a very soft place in the hearts of military people and people who yeah. are interested in military
0: vehicles. Yeah, so it's it's a, it certainly is a powerful-looking uh, piece of uh, transport, mm-hmm. isn't it? With its crane.
1: Indeed, yes, there were two of them were bought as breakdown cranes. The other six were general haulage lorries or general service lorries, as the army would call them. The one behind it is another military lorry. It's um, a World War Two Leyland Retriever workshop. It was a mobile workshop, carried all the equipment in the back, and the idea was that this would accompany vehicles into battle and it would could right. carry out repairs on the battlefield and so on. It's a
0: very basic piece of uh, the cab itself. It, I mean, it's, open it's only down. a canvas top. Yeah. And it's, uh, now,
1: I'm very glad to say that it's not the only survivor as well. The army have, there were, there were four of them. Two of them were sold at scrap at an auction some years ago. We got this one. And the army have the other one stashed away and it's still fully equipped. Yeah, and right. it's, it's a real gem altogether. Yeah. But it, it's great that people are interested enough yes. now to keep these things. Right.
0: Know. So actually, they, th- this vehicle, in some ways, it's doubly insured by both yourselves and the army because of their own interest exactly, in, in yeah. retaining some of this equipment. Sure, yeah. you know.
1: Incidentally, while we're here, you'll just notice that the Belfast trolley will there beside it. you notice it has two well, axles at the rear. That was a very common uh, f- uh, type of layout for trolley buses, earlier for motor buses, but trolley buses retained this almost into the 50s. And uh, the reason was that at that time, under British regulations, which more or less applied here too because we followed their regulations you couldn't have a two-axle bus longer than 26 feet it was to do with yes. the length and the solution was to have uh, yes. two axles
0: at the yeah. back yeah an early safety right. standard exactly you know yeah. very good exactly. this is the tram sorry just behind this, that, this yeah
1: is now that is a very interesting tram because it's not a Dublin tram at all it was actually a London trailer tram and my colleague Jim Kilroy It was offered it by a farmer down in County Leash about 10 years ago as a result of something that was on Gay Byrne's programme. Gay Byrne has always been very good to it. He's terrific. Of course, he has the local interest anyway. How did this thing get in from... Uh, from, uh, Well, it was strange. Apparently, the London trailers were all converted into horse-drawn caravans in the 20s. And this one found its way to Ireland and was eventually abandoned on the farm of this... uh, Well, it wouldn't have been, I presume, his his father. Uh, The man that we were talking to was William Pratt down outside Abbey Leaks, and he offered this tram to the
0: museum. Mm. Sorry, but could we say that this tram was used as a caravan, a a camping caravan, if you like? Well, yes, it would have been. That that type of thing. So it was the equipment, the the modern day caravan. So these people came across on Holliers, traveled around Ireland, got as far as... Uh, Wherever it was, and and abandoned it it on this man's farm. Now, it may
1: may have uh, come into the possession of some member of his family way back, but he had it on the farm anyway. He was anxious to get rid of it. He knew it had historical significance. Now, Jim uh, Kilroy who is, he's fantastic in, in, in the prescience he has about these things and he realized that he had a potential gem here. When the Dublin Tramways began their electrification program in 1896 the first fleet consisted of 30 motor trams and 30 trailers. They were all open top and open on the platforms, they had no windscreens. The trailers were afterwards all converted to motor trams themselves and a couple of them lasted into the late 1920s and Jim reckoned that This, although it was by a different builder to the Dublin ones, it was very similar. And if this particular builder that supplied this had done the Dublin trailers, this could easily have become a motor car in the Dublin fleet. So he decided that we would do it up as a Dublin tram would have looked on Bloomsday in 1904. Terrific. And that's what it's being done up as now. And uh, as you can see, he has a lot of the work done on the lower deck, and uh, he'll be starting now, I think, during the winter on, on, on doing the rest of it.
0: Terrific. Terrific.
1: What else have we got? Well, now, take uh, make way around here, there's a Landsberg armoured car. Uh, extremely rare. There were only three armies had them, the Dutch, the Swedish and the Irish. And the Dutch ones were all captured by the Germans and went to the eastern front and were never seen again. Uh, the Swedes, people that you think would be more caring, they actually scrapped all theirs in the early 50s. Mm. And it was a pity because they were built in Sweden. And the Irish Army ones were the only survivors. And the Army have been busy sending them out to museums around the world in the last few years in exchange for things they want for their own collection. But, as always, they were very good to us, and they gave us one. That's how we come to have it. And in front of it is a 1930 Leyland Lion lorry, which started work as a bus and was rebuilt as a lorry just after the war by the Great Northern Railway. And it was withdrawn sometime in the mid-50s and was written off as scrap and in 1971 COE were clearing out a shed at Dundalk in preparation for building work and it was found under a pile of junk there and mm-hmm. it was driven out of that shed and uh, it's still capable of
0: doing she the my work. Goodness. I, I mean, the, the, you know, it's, it's a perfect looking <laughs> altogether but the wood is fairly well but, you know, it's still very solid, isn't it? Oh, yeah. the the
1: A lot of the planks on the platform of it have gone, but, you yeah. know, they're replaceable. Funny thing, there was a man here delivering But you'd the also stone. wonder,
0: when you're looking at this now, in its condition, it actually looks, I think the word they would use would be quaint. It has a quaint look about it's it. Very it. quaint. And it?
1: that's just Wouldn't the it point be? I was going to make. There yeah. was a man here with a very modern hino a couple of weeks ago, delivering stone for the floor. Now, he was very proud of this, lorry, and he was showing us all the different features and so on. And we brought him in to introduce him to this one, and he looked at it. I said, "My God, Tyrannosaurus Rex!" <laughs> that was his reaction. So uh, I, I take your point about it being quaint.
0: Yeah, it, I'm sure. I'm sure. Like uh, when everything is down for restoration, but I'm sure there must be cases where you would like to keep one or two items as you got them. We
1: certainly to let, do that now. With the three-wheel cart I spoke about. Oh yes, just we're just nice to see, to see that. Very
0: yeah, very this fun. is another. The, yes, the military is very well represented uh, here. I must say. Not a
1: green, fire engine. It was a very famous. Um, fire engine based on the bedford military chassis of the mid fifties and there were huge numbers have built for the british authorities and a lot of them were bought here both by the civil defense and by the ordinary fire brigades uh, when they came up for disposal about uh... fifteen sixteen years ago they've been the mainstay of a lot of uh, retained fire services around the country for for years but like everything else they won't last forever
0: but they've certainly proved their their what worth they have indeed, yeah. there's um, a
1: daimler double-deck bus Uh, Belfast Corporation again. As you see, the lads are working on it at the moment. They've taken out one starter, they're going (coughs) to put in the other one. Uh, It's up on blocks for that reason at the moment. You recognize the Daimler fluted radiator anywhere. Yes. yes. And uh, this was one of a big fleet of Daimler buses that Belfast Corporation had. Uh, They were beautiful vehicles. Uh, The bodywork was built locally by Harkness, and if you look at the inside, you'll see they were very, very nicely turned out. Gardner engine. Uh, a lot of the vehicles here, standard vehicles, have Gardner engines. That's a Gardner 6. We have a 5. We, we have a couple of other 6s. that we have a 4. That old Lion Lorry has a 4 cylinder Gardner in it. The Gardner LW range of engines must be one of the most famous things ever made. That guy bus there in front of it has a Gardner as well.
0: Okay. So, we, um, in, in, in Dublin, most of us, of course, were all there were They were nearly all Leylanders. There was
1: a small uh, proportion of AECs.
0: Right. Uh, Where did they originate from?
1: Uh, the GNR brought in a lot of AECs when they were taken into CIE in 1958. But CIE had a few AEC buses themselves. They had 11 AEC double deckers in Dublin. They had three in the country as well. As well as that, uh, they had inherited a lot of AEC single deckers from the W United Tramways Company. But CIE's policy was very largely to buy Leyland buses and AEC lorries and they had a huge fleet of AEC lorries uh, for, for many, many years. Right. In fact, a few of them are, are still operating as shunter tractors in depots and places like that. Mm. There hasn't been an AEC made now since 1979 because it was eventually swallowed up in the Leyland yes. yeah. uh, Empire, you know. Yeah.
0: Now, this is the That's Director's, the director's tram, tram now. Now, what happened? This.
1: Well, first of all, let me say, if it happened in any other country, there'd be a few people shot, and deservedly so. This was built at Spa Road in 1901 for the exclusive use of the directors of the company and their guests. And it contained art treasures that are almost indescribable. I'll just mention one or two things. All the interior pillars were designed as classical columns and carved as classical columns. There's the remains of the wine press. There were window paintings, there were miniature lamp clusters, there were carpets, there were curtains, there were occasional tables, armchairs, you name it. Beautiful wrought iron railings on the top deck. And the car was mounted on, uh, not originally, but within a few years of its construction, it was mounted on what's known as a Lorraine truck or chassis. A very rare thing indeed. And it survived to the end of the tramways in 1949 and was sold to a man in Daukey. And as a result of negotiations that went on following his malicious injury slam, the tram ended up here. And we have the task of rebuilding it. Now, this would be regarded as one of the world's prime examples of tramway coachwork which is very little of it
0: left now
1: very little left. luckily enough there's a complete set of reference
0: photographs which
1: we were very lucky to get oh so So you know exactly what to do it fairly
0: to its original yeah it has been looked
1: at um john martin who's the chief mechanical engineer of bus aird and an old friend of ours and alan garrity who is the manager of the spa road body shops they have both inspected it had many discussions with their own people we know exactly how to go about the reconstruction of it but of course we don't have the money. Mm. It's as simple as that. But this, is this, this is a big one. This is this is the big one. And this is the one that should be the ultimate test of the sincerity of the authorities in saying that this country caters for every taste and for every strand of culture. Mm. And that's the one that that claim must stand or fall on, in my yeah. opinion.
0: Terrific. It's, a, it's the Titanic, if you like, of, of the trams. Uh, almost, it? yes, almost. It?
1: And it's famous throughout the world. Yeah. Uh, even after this tram was destroyed, there were tramway museums all over the world pursuing... The truck that's under it. They just wanted to get that because yeah. we think it's the only Lorraine, Lorraine four-wheel truck surviving. We're not sure, but we think it is. Mm. It's certainly one of the very few, anyway. Terrific. The motors are still in it, by the way, and still turning. Really? Yeah.
0: Two twenty-seven horsepower motors. And um, this, I'll have to have a look at this little three-wheel. Oh yeah, you yeah. will have to have a little. Do you want to have it.
1: a look inside this? Just before yes, we indeed. This one is in generally quite good condition. We've a bit of work to do there on the platform, but describe yeah. this one for me. This is uh, the, this is the, the belt f- double decker, yeah, yeah. 1953, the, the Belfast uh, one. Yeah, Gardner engine, uh, fluid flywheel, pre-selector gearbox, uh, Harkness coachwork, 56 seater. Last worked in 1975. And as you can see it has a very pleasant interior, which doesn't need an awful lot of cleaning up. We have all the cushions for it put away. And we think it's a bus that will be a very attractive uh, addition yeah. to the...
0: I like the nice, all, all, the, all the, the edge of each seat has a nice enough for a grit. Oh, I mean, you couldn't, uh, you yeah, couldn't miss that, yeah, could I you? Yeah, I just
1: prompted something. Uh, these were introduced on Belfast buses, I believe, during the general manag- managership of William McCreary. And they've always been known as McCreary's Balls. Really? <laughs> the
0: less said about McCreary's Balls, <laughs> the better maybe.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they were a feature of Belfast buses
0: for years and years and years. Very good, very uh, good.
1: There they are. They're, they're a very effective grab when you're going. Oh yes bus, indeed,
0: isn't? but it seems like a mistake for somebody to do something like that because they could be handled, <laughs> handled with that for the rest of their life. <laughs> this poor man of was, yeah. <laughs> That's terrible. It's so terrific. It's it's to. It's, it's nice actually, this is the first time we've been on something, it's nice it's it's nice to be inside i mean as you say there's work to be done there's so much work to be be done and everything
1: now this this one was one of a number of vehicles that were in the store and uh, were attacked by vandals vandals broke into the store and they attacked it and you see there are some broken windows and things like that which are being replaced at the moment it wouldn't be so bad if they had just confined themselves to breaking windows but they got into cabs and they broke clocks on the instrument panels and so on Uh, they started up one vehicle and drove it into a number of others and it did some damage and finally before they left they got on the upper deck of this bus and they defecated all over the place that that was the worst job we had to do was cleaning this Mm. one out now that's all been done and the top has been restored to what it should be but this is an extra burden on the work that we have to do already Mm. and you feel very sore about it when it happens
0: you're not only just dealing with uh, age and disintegration natural disintegration you're dealing with um, a lot of man-made folly as well and cleaning up and and uh, doing work that you feel you really shouldn't have to do
1: oh yeah this is work we should never have had to do and some of the vehicles that are here which need attention at the moment they were got in very good condition but they had to be stored in the open or in places where they were subject to visits by people who had no interest in them and the result is that we're on a treadmill as far as getting these things is done up goes.
0: Yeah. How can I, um, as some of the vehicles that you get will be driven to your premises a lot then would have to become come on trailers and so on. How principle was this bus? How, did you, how is this one delivered?
1: Oh, uh, we have a towing tender. Uh, you'll be familiar with the old converted buses you see going around town. Yes, uh, bringing yes. in. Well, we have one of those which there we got know. from COE some years ago yeah. and it does all that work. It's known as Sisyphus because uh, you'll remember the famous character in Greek mythology who was condemned by the gods to roll a stone up a mountain and every time that he rolled it up it fell, it came down again and he spent his life doing this and the tender has moved the same vehicle so often from place to place, trying to keep a jump ahead of the it van and the scrap It was a very appropriate name. <laughs> My colleague Jim Crossland christened that some years ago, and the name stuck. Very good, very good.
0: Now, well, oh, we've got, we haven't seen, just before we go on to, just outside, this is this a small little van here? Yes, yeah, this, this that, is, is, uh, that's, that's
1: this. a little Bedford um, 1,200 weight van, 10 or 1,200 weight van. It dates from 1949, and it was donated by a man named William Spratt, who is a Belfast man, uh, he lives in Dunbine. For many, many years, he was one of the foremost uh, racing motorcyclists in the country, and he brought this van with him from Belfast when he settled here many years ago. He used it to transport his motorbikes around the country, and uh, he donated it to us last year. So, so it's
0: we can see in this van the the transition from the the the, whole, the, the coach work. Onto the, you know, this. I'm looking at the roof here, and the yes. laths and timber, and yeah. the canvas, and so. On, and you can see that the the the, you know, this is a little bit of a missing link. This particular vehicle, isn't it? In that sense, yeah. It showing the, you know, the some of the the coach making, uh, you know, skills maybe, and the the metal That's which was, right. you know, yeah. the.
1: Well, a lot of these skills have either had to be kept alive, or in some cases, they've been revived by people, people like Jim Kilroy, especially. Now, Jim undertook the restoration of whole tram number nine which is on side and when Jim took that one on it was in a very advanced stage of decomposition and he had to learn luckily enough he's an architect by profession and he regarded these as mobile structures which is probably the way an architect would look at them and he learned everything he needed to know about timber work did all the structural timber work himself but then he was faced with things like the roof And here you Mm -hmm.
0: had a timber frame,
1: which was covered with uh, TNG, and that in turn was covered with canvas. Somewhat in the same way as as that there, except it's open latting on that. And in the process, Jim learned an enormous amount of invaluable things here uh, that will stand the whole movement in good stead over the next few years as the restorations proceed. But the battle that we are fighting at the moment is very largely against dying, crafts and dying technologies that we must keep alive for long enough to get some of these restored right and of course a lot of the older coach builders and people like that they're now rep- you know they've retired that's right and you can't expect them to last forever but they have been very generous in the way that they've helped us with our knowledge Terrific. And their
0: terrific no we're just going to have a look at little look at this we'll eventually get to this little lamb um
1: there's a set of tram jacks by the way
0: yeah, yeah, you, they yeah, they were they
1: used to lift the bodies of the trams. Uh, these date from 1896 and they came from the tram works at Ballsbridge via CIE. And a pair is placed at each end of the tram body uh, with a cross beam between them, between each pair. And you get four men then on uh, each pair of jacks, two on each jack with handles. And this would lift, up, lift the, the tram body up. Off the bogies or the truck then can be run out from under the car for overhaul. Right.
0: Of course, and they would have been bolted in, of course, and they need to sort Th- right, of be bolts. those. Yeah. right, uh,
1: The technology in, in itself is not very difficult. Now, these are very laborious and so on, but they're the safest and most reliable way of lifting a tram body. Of course, nowadays in garages you have motor-driven hoists for lifting yeah. cars,
0: but these are the predecessors. Well, I must say, an ideal tool, particularly for you people oh, here. absolutely. You know, it's the... They're exhibits in themselves. <laughs> yes, you know. they are.
1: Just watch yourself on that there see where corrosion is taking place in the battery box and that
0: yes yes and you have your um the dugouts here for the uh yeah the we have the it, the pit made the the pit there
1: pit yeah we still have to do some completion work on it and we have to pump some water out of it but that will all be done all over the next couple of months we are we also have what the fellows call the mobile canteen. It's a table we move around from place to place when we're having a cup of tea as we're working here,
0: because you can get ready. You'll have to put a little card on this, Michael, just you know to say circa nineteen ninety-one, you know, <laughs> something <laughs> yeah. like that.
1: Exactly.
0: Now there's the three-wheel cart over there.
1: As you see, it's it looks very like one of those little donkey carts that you see in Kerry for transporting the turf, mm. except that it's a tipper, and it has this frame and third wheel placed between the shafts it's very maneuverable and one of the lads here said that he recently saw a photograph of the construction of the railway from Galway to Clifton in the last century and there was something very like this in the photograph now we intend to try and get some information the national museum have a man down in Dangan who has done a lot of research on horse carts of various sorts
0: and we hope to get him in on this. It's basically like uh, a cart, except it's got a third wheel in the centre. And I presume these shafts would have been continued on for the horse. No, I don't think they, so. I, I, I think it was
1: just manhandled around. Was it? Yeah, from how that would have to, make have to be very long. Oh,
0: it would have to be terribly long to but with it, this wheel here taking it's space. It's an extremely easy it's thing to It's one of the first of the tipper trucks.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: And you were saying earlier that there was some, some suggestion that this might have been involved with the construction of the harbour. Oh, yes, itself.
1: The, the people down at the harbour master's office are quite certain about that. They've no doubt about it at all. Mm. Now you notice that inside in it there's something else, that box which looks like Davy
0: Jones's it, locker. It, it's 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 the it's the typical trunk shape. Yeah, well it did, it didn't
1: come with the cart. Uh, mm. One of my colleagues here, Dan Marr, who's a driver with Irish Rail, and Dan uh, has a great interest in steam locomotives and everything like that. And he saw that in the scrapyard one day. It's the toolbox of a steam locomotive.
0: But this was on the back? This yeah, was it was
1: on the, on the footplate of the locomotive, oh, yes, putting yeah. the big spanners in. Yeah. So Dan said that he thought it would be more appropriate in the museum than down in the Hammond Lane. So he right. just threw it up on the lorry and brought it out here the next time he was coming.
0: Very good.
1: So it's amazing the things that turn up, you know.
0: Yes, and, they, and even yeah. other...
1: That's a trailer side. pump, yeah. During uh, During the period leading up to the outbreak of the Second World War, the British Home Office, they had developed a trailer pump which could be hauled by a car, a heavy car or a taxi or something like that, to fight fires. And these were built in their thousands. And after the war, a lot of them were sold to commercial firms who used them in factories and places like that. Now, this one came to us via the Army. It's powered by a V8 engine. It has a Stark Beresford pump in it. And we will join it up with our Guinness dual-purpose vehicle inside, which is an Ambulance Cum fire tender, which is used in Guinness's right. own uh, yes. emergency service yes. in the brewery, and it is the ideal pump to mate up with that, so we're going to do it up, paint it, and we we'll mate it up then with the Guinness uh, Ambulance Cum towing vehicle inside, and we have a beautiful unit then.
0: Okay, we're just going to talk very briefly about the uh, plans for the future and the help that you could do with from people in the transport business.
1: Well, the plans for the future are obviously to try and expand the premises here, expand the collection, and to overhaul the vehicles that are most in need of it. And there's a program here that could keep you going for years and years, but the thing is to pick out the most important ones first. Now, this in fact is being done at the moment because we've been asked uh, to prepare some sort of report on where we go from here when Stage 2 opens in a few weeks' time. Now we do need a lot of help. It is the only country in Europe, as far as I know, where the authorities have been able to have a transport museum established without doing anything. In fact, we've been charged taxes for the privilege of doing what we have accomplished up to now. A lot of the lads are very resentful of this. My age, you just get philosophical about it and you keep your head down and you do your best. Certainly the transport operators, we think that they owe us a lot and we think they should be doing everything they can to help us both practically and financially. Mm -hmm. Now our biggest source of help at the moment is definitely from Bus The people up in Broadstone particularly have been superb all down the years
0: Mm. and they
1: backed us at a time when it wasn't popular to do so. When the attitude still was you're preserving these relics of old imperialism and what's in it for you and all this sort of thing when yeah. the concept of voluntary work wasn't as widely accepted as it is today right. the people up there supported us and have continued to do so mm-hmm. now we reckon the vehicle manufacturers and suppliers and agents they have a big responsibility here because we drew up a code of practice for preservation some years ago and we reckon that anybody who's going to profit from replacing something should contribute something to the preservation of that item if it's of historical importance. We haven't pursued them yet. But we will be doing so in the most subtle form as soon as we can.
0: And of course, Michael too, it makes good commercial sense for some companies who have vehicles maybe with delivery on them. It does. To to maybe preserve them with you. And although there's a space problem and so on, but uh, the kind of help that you would like is for them to you already said that there's a vehicle that you have with your name on it, so yeah. to speak. And it's to be able to to get that guarantee That's right. of, you know, that vehicle. When the space becomes available. Yeah.
1: Well, now there's one this one company that I would mention particularly, who at the time didn't even have a representative here, and that was Mercedes. They were very supportive of this venture when it was getting off the ground, and there wasn't even a Mercedes vehicle in the collection at the time. And I think it sets an incredible headline for other people. Now, unfortunately, the make the not just the individual make, but the assembly of makes that had the greatest number here was Leyland, and of course they're gone now. Yeah. And uh, I think that the people who aspire to replace Leyland, they should recognise that there was a great engineering tradition there and that it's worth preserving good examples of it, you know. In this country, there has never been a great engineering tradition outside of the railway companies and the transport companies themselves. And unfortunately, we have always been inclined to regard culture as covering the fine arts only. And we've evolved what you might almost call early standard culture. And technology has very little place in that. And transport seems to have none at all. And it's a great pity because we have a very rich transport heritage in this country. Now, there are a number of bodies that are looking after specialist ends of it, such as aviation, railways, maritime, and so on. And, of course, cars and motorcycles. And somehow or other, heavy road-going vehicles. And by commercial vehicles, I mean everything from a tram car down to a light delivery van in fact anything that's not a private motor car they haven't been looked after at all and this society was set up to preserve these and to try and establish a national collection we've managed to do this we have everything uh, vested in such a way that nothing can ever be sold or exported some of the vehicles we own outright they were got either by gift or by purchase a number of them are on permanent loan from public authorities and that's the way that the fleet more or less is constituted Mm -hmm. now the fleet itself grows at the rate of 5 items a year and we have 120 in our care at the moment and nobody ever told history to stop and we have a forward preservation list from which we pick vehicles in advance. We do this in consultation with the Institute of Transport and with the Institute of Road Transport Engineers and various managers in different places. But obviously Uh, we can continue like this indefinitely. Ultimately, the government or some public authority is going to have to accept responsibility for the whole thing. Yours
0: is a purely voluntary
1: organisation? Totally voluntary organisation. Nobody gets paid. And it is a miracle that so much has been done by a hardcore working group of about 15 to 20 people. They are very... Hard set to do it, I can assure
0: you. Well, how did this whole thing kick off? Was it did it start with the whole uh, tram? Was that was it, the with trams?
1: Yes, not with whole trams. Yeah. Uh, it started off with the rundown of the Dublin tramway system. Now, I'm not being chauvinistic when I say Dublin had one of the world's finest tramway systems. It was absolutely superb, and as well as the technical excellence and the traffic arrangements on it, the trams were all locally built. They were built here in Dublin, and in 1942 a group of residents out around Blackrock and Dawkey were very concerned at the imminent disappearance of the last of the pre-World War I Dawkey bogey trams, which were being replaced by cars that had come off routes that had been closed, and they campaigned and they had number 328 put aside for preservation, and when the tramways closed in 1949, everybody assumed that number 328 was going to the National Museum, but it was put up for sale as scrap with the rest of the fleet. And the National Museum at the time said that its preservation would not be in accordance with the national ethos. Now, there's a volume, I think, in that statement there, yeah. and that's what started the preservation movement off. Well, I think
0: it's all part of an attitude that excels right down to the demise of the whole tram. You know, unfortunately, yes. You know, not putting enough emphasis on things. You know, they, not they, getting it they, right.
1: These people are utterly and totally blind. they, yeah. they. they there was some hope for them in the last few years but i'm beginning to think that that hope is gone now because yeah. we just haven't got even after 40 years we're not getting through to them.
0: Yeah. And we a lot of your time sorry spent here taking people around what do you do now are you involved actually in restoration yourself?
1: No. I I have had so many other things to do. I'm a draftsman by trade that I haven't been able to get involved in the restoration of any vehicle here. Much to my right. regret. There's always something else to be done. Right. And I'm a sort of a general factotum, as yeah. are several of my colleagues. But right. uh, and, you, and you do the
0: tours here. You bring. Oh yeah, tour.
1: well we do. Everybody takes a turn at the tours, and yeah. I suppose you get knowledgeable on it after a while. Yeah.
0: A, is it a pleasant aspect of the?
1: It is a very pleasant yeah. aspect because you realise then that what you have done or what you what you've tried to do is worthwhile. Right and uh, people appreciate it and the funny thing about this collection is that everybody can relate to things in it
0: yes they remember, they remember the
1: bus that they went down the country and the one they went to school and they remember the bread van that came around uh, they're excited still at seeing uh, all fire engines that they may have seen racing off to a fire somewhere 30 or 40 years ago, this type of thing and we have discovered that all the different types of vehicle have their own following. There are people who are interested in nothing else but military vehicles or they're interested in fire appliances or whatever and this interest is growing. There's an explosion of interest in this type of heritage around the world and the only country in which it's not appreciated is Ireland, or the Republic of Ireland I should say.
0: Right. It's on a voluntary base at the moment but could it be made into a more profitable enterprise if there is such an interest?
1: It could. Um, I think that one of the big troubles with things like ours is that if money becomes available, they go off and they splurge it which way and every way. And before they know where they are, they're in debt again. Now, we have very tight financial control. We have a chairman who is also the financial controller, and he does an extremely good job. And I think everybody has learned from his way of doing things. Certainly, we could use more money, but I doubt if just yet we'd be inclined to bring in any professional full-time people because the, the money in the first place it should go into the collection it should go into improving the collection improving the place that they're housed in and all that sort of thing Now we're very fortunate here we have been here at the gift of Captain Gaysford St. Lawrence since 1985 stage one opened in 86 and we're just about to open stage two and we have some arrangements to make with the estate
0: yeah does he have a personal interest himself or what was the connection the original connection there well i couldn't speak for the captain
1: but i i know that he always had an interest in the whole tram uh, i think anybody who lived in Holt was interested in the tramway and in the trams themselves and uh, he offered us this place in 1984 uh, when he was scaling down his farming operation in favor of the leisure pursuits that are now a large part of the work on the domain and that's how we came to be here these are actually redundant farm buildings that we've moved into and the first stage here was done on a FOSS program. Now we also had a FOSS program in Broome Bridge from 1985 to 90, doing up vehicles. And while excellent work was done, we just couldn't afford to keep the thing going because the overhead costs were high and they were running out of control. I won't say they were running out of control, but they were running beyond what we could afford to yes, pay. Yeah. That'd be a better way of putting
0: it. Um, you said that you'd had over 100, over 100 vehicles.
1: We have. There are 30 here in stage one at the moment. When stage two opens, there'll be a total of 52 or three. I think there are about uh, 16 or 17 inside there at the moment. There are still, I think, eight to come. Now, we have another 50 stored in our depot in Castle Rottery in County Wicklow, which is actually our first museum, and which we had to close down when this opened in 1985 or 1986 because, first of all, we hadn't got the people to keep it open. Second, there didn't seem to be the interest. And third, we... Signally failed to get local support down there. Oddly enough, we have just been approached in the last few months by a group of local people and by the tourist uh, authority for the area who want to know about the possibility of reopening it. Now, this means we were 20 years ahead of time, but everything here is so much par- part of our past. Yeah. And people often say to the lads here, what's your favourite vehicle? And I heard one guy give a great answer recently. He said, the next one we're going to get involved with. <laughs>
0: Very good. This is phase one we're in now. This is phase one, yeah. It's got a collection of public transport vehicles. We have a fire engine there. Uh, You have some some laundry, the electric... uh, Yeah, both electric and horse-drawn. That's right.
1: We came right in on the tail of the horse-drawn era and originally we had no interest in horse-drawn vehicles because we thought these were well looked after. (coughs) There was a famous collection down in uh, Mount Usher near Ashford in County Wicklow called the Walpole Collection. And there were 40-odd horse-drawn vehicles in this. Now, most of them were passenger, but I believe a few of them were freight vehicles. And there was also a collection, of course, in the National Museum store down in Dangan. But in 1975 or six, the Walpole collection was exported. And we were approached by people who were very concerned about the few horse-drawn commercials that were still in existence. And we took in one or two of these. Now, mm-hmm. we still weren't too interested. Yeah. But in the last few years, a number of items have turned up out of the blue, completely against the, the, the run of history and all that sort of thing. Their chances yes. of survival were almost nil, and yet they turned up. Yeah. And this happens with motor vehicles, too. So we've, so you're, we've you're, got involved with nearly everything. Your transport everything. is tran- yeah, transport. It's really transport, yeah. yeah it definitely yeah. is
0: yeah uh, we have some um, uh, military vehicles here as well we
1: have have a lovely military collection now the army have been extremely good to us right from the word go and we started off uh, with military vehicles in I think 1969 or 70 when we acquired a quad gun tractor and a six wheeler the six wheeler was bought for us by Bill Swanton Uh, now Bill was the sales director in Britain's Uh, he's now retired he's gone back lives in his native well he lives in Cove outside Cork and um, Bill was responsible for buying us that he's been a member of the society for many years and incidentally he's bringing out a book later this year on the history of uh, his family bus company which operated in Cork in the late 1920s he's the first person in this country to have written such a book
0: Very
1: good. so the, are yeah. great connect- but going back to the military stuff the yeah. army have looked after us very well when stage two opens there will be i think seven military vehicles on display for the time being if we get stage three going that'll increase and they range through a very interesting selection, uh, which is unique. Uh, for instance, there's a Unimog armoured car here, and there's also a Landsberg. Now there's no Unimog armoured car on display in any other museum in the world, but we have one here. So you a first. We were we've a first, yeah. yeah. And we had a couple of visitors here from one of the British military museums last Saturday. And these guys thought that all their birthdays had come together when they saw the stuff that we had. Yeah. And they said, this collection may be small, They said, "What it's It's quality? It's quality." They said, "The quality is incredible." So we were that type of thing encourages you greatly. Yeah.
0: On the on the motor vehicle side, uh, what's the earliest, roughly, uh, how how far back are you? The
1: oldest motor vehicle we have. It's not here at the moment. It'll be here in a couple of weeks' time. is a 1921 Leyland fire engine. This was originally supplied to the Ratmines Urban Council, and it was taken over with Ratmines Urban Council area by Dublin Fire Brigade in 1930. An older thing inside in stage two, it's a three-wheeled cart right. that was sent up to us here recently by the harbour master in Holt. Uh, they were clearing out a shed down there and they came across it. And it's believed to have been used in the construction of the harbour. Really? Now that would put it at at least 150 years old. Right. But uh, this almost is one of these... Almost on your own doorstep. Almost. It's amazing the things that turn up. You yeah. wouldn't believe it, you know. And
0: just coming right up to date, I see a three-wheeler CAE... Tractor here. I mean, everybody would remember those. Well, uh, the,
1: the Scammell mechanical horses came in three versions. You had the original wooden cabbed ones, and then the scarab, and finally the townsmen, like this one here. And CIE had a huge fleet of these, and their great advantage, of course, was the manoeuvrability. They could get in and out of narrow laneways and so on around the centre of the city. And unfortunately, they ran foul of some EEC regulation, and they were all taken off the road, or at least the remaining ones, in 1981. And I believe that was the last one to run. COE did a nice overhaul on it and a repaint job before it came here and its trailer is standing outside there in the yard. So that's complete? Oh, it's complete and it's in running order.
0: Right. Phase two. Would it be possible to have a little, little peek? Go ahead. Have you, these buses here themselves, have you come across a vehicle that you've actually were on when it's working days? Have you,
1: oh, yeah. Um, I I knew a lot of these. I I was interested in trams and buses from a very early age and in the 50s I started taking photographs as soon as I could afford a camera. And the result was that uh, there were a lot of these I was familiar with while they were on the road. Now here's a good example here.
0: This is, we're in phase two, this is another large. Uh, these, these are formerly now uh, farm buildings we're in. Yeah, that's right. But they're dry and th- they've been refurbished the, to some we extent. Have
1: done a lot yeah. re- now we'd like to do a lot more and we will do more, but uh, the whole thing was to get the, the basic uh, shelter and display facilities ready so that people could come in and see the vehicles. Now we know it, it is not ideal, we would like to do a lot more, but we reckon that you have to start somewhere and we have done it in the best way that we could think possible with the funds that were available. Right. There's a bus there now. It's what's known as a Bolton-class double-decker. There was a hundred of those bought in 1948 for tramway replacement. I lived in Drumcondra. These ran on my local route, the number 11. And when I was going to work or going in dates in the evening or anything like that, I would travel on these. And there was a particular batch of buses uh, allocated to each route at that time. And this one, 389... It was what was known as a universal. It was one of a number of floating buses that replaced vehicles on regular allocation that were offered docking and things like that. And I can well remember this one running frequently on the number 11 route. It happened to be the last one of its class to survive in service. It was actually used for a short time during the first abortive attempts to introduce bus lanes here in 1971 in Fairview and Clontarf. That's right, I remember that. Remember that, yeah, Yeah, and it was taken off after that. And it happened to be the last one, and... Uh, It was acquired for preservation, and it has since been restored to the old livery and so on. It runs very well, and uh, this year it's
0: one of the ones that attend. Of course, the drivers were kept in uh, isolation on these particular ones. I wonder how they felt about that, Chris. Today now they're open, and they can hear the chatter. Well, they they can can hear the chatter.
1: Uh, Today, of course, they have all the advantages, like power steering and and, uh, all these uh, wonderful help. They have automatic or semi-automatic gearboxes and things like that. They have power-assisted braking, you, you name it. With these buses they were very basic that one has a pre sorry it has a synchromesh gearbox and it has vacuum brakes it has no power steering it's a very basic bus but the great advantage of these was that they they were incredibly economical uh, they were very reliable and they were very long-lived and a driver one of our members who is a driver recently he took that one across town to an exhibition and he remarked to a couple of us afterwards that allowing for the change in technology it was very manoeuvrable in town because it was shorter and it was narrower than the modern ones and he <laughs> yes. was amazed at how he got through the traffic with it. Now he was an experienced yes. man who had driven them before yeah. and he was making a return to them after 20 years or something like that you know? Are
0: you sure now he didn't make a few bob for himself on the way? <laughs> take them.
1: Well he couldn't unless he, had, unless he had a conductor on the back <laughs> Beside
0: that <laughs> bus is a very old bus here I don't know if it's very old it, it, but it's certainly the condition now it's really
1: Yeah, That, that, <coughs> that you now is a good example of vandalism. But, uh, that is a Belfast fast trolley bus, uh, dates from 1949, a magnificent vehicle, a six wheel guy and it was stored in the open for a number of years and apart from damage from the elements it was attacked by vandals who as you can see broke most of the windows in it. Now we have started on the reconstruction, of there's a new platform that has been put in it in the last couple of weeks and <coughs> we'll go ahead from there over the coming months and eventually it'll be ready for painting. As will a lot of the other things here. Uh, although the place isn't open yet and not finished, we will have a restoration facility here in stage two. But w- when we're thwarted on other work, when we're short of work, we still uh, keep ourselves busy by doing a bit of work on what we hope to be doing on yeah. stage two. You're is very
0: strong two. on the public transport end. You're pu- you're pu- you know, you're fairly uh, comprehensive, aren't you? We are.
1: Co- yes, we're certainly very comprehensive. We can honestly say. That we have representatives of all the main types of bus that have run here since COE was formed in 1945. Examples of it you know?
0: Michael Corcoran there of the Transport Preservation Society based in Deer Park and Hoth. My very grateful thanks to Michael for the time he spent with me making this programme.